Welcome to another episode of the Green Machine Podcast. I'm Nick and as always I'm joined by David from Lansdowneroad.ie to bring you the latest Irish football news, honest and blunt Irish football discussion and nostalgic throwbacks. So today is one of those nostalgic throwbacks as we celebrate Kevin Gilban's 44th birthday. So Gilban won 110 caps scoring 8 goals for Ireland and at one point was our all-time leading caps holder since been overtaken by Robbie Keane. Shea Given and John O'Shea, so um, number four on the list now. So Gilban did enjoy a decorated club career on top of an international career. So he played for Preston, Sunderland, Everton, Hull, and then later on in his career with Derby, Huddersfield, and finally Coventry, where he retired in 2012, where he also called time on his international career. So what is it, David, about Kevin Gilban that gives us that kind of fuzzy feeling? Yeah, I thought for a second I had COVID, but actually no. Um, it was just reminiscing about um, Kevin Kilban, my fuzziness. Um, sorry, <laughs> probably not not a a well um, well time joke that. But yeah, no, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Kilban. Um, yeah, he he is. Uh, of course, you know he is. He will go down as an Irish legend. He's he's just one of those. I think he's. And you know, we always try to be very blunt here and very honest. As a player, very limited um, ability-wise, yeah. but he made the most of what he had, you know, like, but really, really committed, very committed to the Irish cause. You know, he he learned the uh, Irish anthem. I mean, some of the Irish-born players don't don't know that, don't sing it, uh, but he went through the trouble of learning it. And he, I think he showed up for 66 consecutive um, competitive matches for Ireland, which is, I think, four away from the all-time record, which was a Billy Wright. Billy Wright, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Billy Wright. That's right, Billy Wright. How <laughs> it, um, sorry, I'm just full of the shit jokes tonight. <laughs> it's been a long day, folks, sorry. Um, but yeah, he was far away from that. And, you know, we'll talk about how that got cut off. Obviously, it was, wasn't, uh, was very controversial and cruel, actually, in a way. But yeah, very committed player, limited, but made the most of what he had. And just seems to sort of... I suppose he's just kind of clutched that Irish diaspora with, with both hands and he's kind of never really let go. And, you know, I know you won't be happy about it, but he seems to always have his male jersey around the semi-final. Um, yeah, once, <laughs> you know. yeah, once once a year. Um, but look, it's uh, I know plenty of people from Dublin with male parents who do the same thing, never quite understand it. But uh, yeah, big GA fan. Oh, cold. Uh, yeah, so, you know, he... Yeah, he is one of those. I mean, you see some English-born players. I mean, listen, being Irish, you don't have to be born in Ireland to be Irish. And I, I, I genuinely mean this. You you don't. It's it's how you feel. And you can be born in England. You can be born in Amsterdam. You can be born on the moon. But if you feel Irish, you have a link to the country, and yeah. you feel identify as Irish, then, you know, absolutely. And I would, I would always support that. I mean, you will have Irish fans going here and we will have one on an upcoming podcast who was born and bred over here sounds English but you're never going to tell them that they're not Irish that they support the Irish team through and through like they are Irish they identify as Irish and, and that's just yeah. it and, and, and he is one of them you know you've got some players that maybe embraced it after they you know had a decent career and it kind of suits them and they'll come over make the appearances they'll say the correct words they'll say the right things you know, and people go. They listen to the Wolf Tones. Yeah, yeah. Suits. 
and sort of then bugger off home to uh, to Britain. And, you know, you kind of never... But with Kevin, he, he does seem genuine about it. I wasn't too sure at first. I, th- I thought... I know we're going to talk a little bit about Declan Rice um, criticism, but I, I thought he was kind of lashing it on a little bit too thick. But then actually kind of going in and, and sort of... Uh, reading up on him and, and listening to him then I think no actually he seems he, he does seem quite genuine about it yeah very much raised and I think he had the offer of playing underage for England from what I believe and he turned it down so I mean if you're a 16 17 year old who's who's been brought up in England Irish parents are not and England come calling and this mm. would be kind of you know early 90s just after whatever Italian 90, England get to the semi-final of the World Cup, Gascoigne and so on. So if you're in that position and you're turning down England, it shows where your heart lies. And I mean, it's similar to Mick McCarthy. You know, Mick McCarthy was brought up by, by an Irish father and very much identified as Irish as opposed to English, even though he's got the big thick Yorkshire accent and so on. So, you know, Kilbane kind of epitomizes that. And and, and as you said, it's it's how you feel. It's not... It's not as black and white as people think. It, it is genuinely how you feel. And, I mean, we would have seen Kil- Kilban in the last few weeks or the last, Jesus, the last couple of years being very outspoken about Declan Rice. And, I mean, Rice, to be honest with you, having listened to some of the interviews that, that Kilban did and some of the analysis, you know, he was on different. A Champions League match it was when, when all of this news kind of broke through. And you no problem with him saying, you know, look, I want to play for England. This is just the best thing for my career. But what Gilban had an issue with was him saying, I'm a proud Englishman. But he's taken three caps. And I think he's quoted as saying, you've taken three caps from three Irishmen. You know, so for him to come out with that argument kind of epitomizes what it should be to be Irish or what it should be to be of the diaspora who actually wants to represent Ireland from from a genuine perspective as opposed to using Ireland as a stepping stone so he's been outspoken even well after his career is finished yeah um yeah obviously he, he spends a lot of time and off the ball and you know news talk and all that so he is very much still within the Irish system so so to speak and I remember I saw him on that actually when Obviously, we didn't have the COVID situation going on. He was yeah. in the studio, and he was very passionate about it. I mean, unfortunately, Kevin is of old stock, you know, and it's something that's really missing from international football. International football now has been sort of, it's been, um, it's been ruined a little bit actually. It's been spoiled. Actually, that's the word I'm looking for. It has been spoiled. Now, you know, I'm going to sound like a really old man here, but people. We're too clever about certain little things, you know. We find little kind of pathways to to get spin things to kind of suit ourselves. And international football seems to be like that, where now you can Declan Rice, where he, I don't believe he's a proud Englishman. Declan Rice, for a start, I I think he obviously came from a very Irish sort of background, and you know he seemed to enjoy it. But then obviously he goes to West Ham, and West Ham have a word in his ear, and then they're saying, you know what, it'd be better for your career, it'd be better for us because you're bigger than us. And you're going to go to Man United or Chelsea or whoever you want to go to. And you're going to go for a lot more money. And you're going to be a bigger star because they won't touch you if you're an Irish player. All this kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of where international football is at at the moment. Where back in Kevin's Kevin's day, back in the 90s, was, right, do you want to play for England? No, I do not. I want to wait till Ireland asks me. And that's where he goes. Nice and simple. 
and probably just as well actually i don't think kevin would have got many caps in england <laughs> sorry kevin if you're listening um but you know yeah it's, it's more but, about building a brand now isn't it you know like if you look at football yeah we've spoken previously on the show about you know the narcissistic kind of nature of instagram the narcissistic nature of how players kind of perceive themselves and, you know, taking pictures of themselves on their own during a match and then commenting saying, oh, today wasn't good enough, yada, 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 usual kind of bullshit. And then the next day they're, you know, they're selling fucking, um, you know, they're they're selling hair gel or they're they're selling like, you know, different products and stuff. So I suppose for Rice, you had that whole product or that, that whole brand of Declan Rice, number 41, all this kind of thing where for Kilbana wasn't wasn't quite the same. And, and I suppose... That maybe, as you said, he probably wouldn't have earned any England caps. I think it was with Preston when he actually yeah. got his first Ireland cap playing in the old the old first division. But um, but, but it was a very easy decision for him because he because he was proud of his Irish heritage. And I suppose on top of this this genuine pride, because as you said, like you see guys and they overdo it. And not that he's American. I know he lives in Canada now, but what you hear americans and you know they they kind of overdo the irish thing even though they've mm. they've they couldn't name a county in ireland Um, he, he was very genuine about it and he kind of had that you know that stereotypical fighting irish that we we hate to hear sometimes but that fighting irish kind of um kind of mentality and i mean a couple of games that would stand out to you i mean playing with the face mask against yeah. montenegro i think he had a broken cheekbone um and then the game kind, kind of his finest performance in my in my opinion Again, like I mean, I I would have come to Gilbane kind of later in his career. In the 2006 game against the Czech Republic, where he got a bloody eye, I think his his blood had actually pooled with, or his eye had actually pooled with blood. I think he got a knock in the face, and I remember after the game uh, against the Czech Republic, remember we had to, and we just lost to to Cyprus. Yeah, five in two. The Euro, yeah. yeah, five two in the Euro says and eight, eight qualifiers and kind of needed to bounce back and playing the Czech Republic, Lansdowne Road, one of the last ever games in Lansdowne Road, in fact, and Kilban gets this knock, um, there's blood in his eye. Apparently he could only see out one eye at the time and he pops up with the with the first goal. Um and I think that just epitomized Kilban as a player, putting his because I mean a lot of his goals domestically for Everton, for Wigan. For Hull, they were headed, and you don't associate that with a winger, but a huge amount of headed goals. And if you look back at clips of his goals, he's he's putting his head where it hurts. He's getting stuck in. And that Czech Republic game, I think he was playing centre midfield. Or I think he was wearing the number nine, kind of randomly, as a striker would. But he but he popped up with a goal, even though he he'd taken an absolute battering, yeah. and um and was one of the senior players that day. So just just epitomises Kilban as a player because. When you look at wingers of that era, I mean, you look at you know David Beckham and and so on, Robert Perez, or just a few random lads coming to my head at the moment, Ryan Giggs or whatever. Don't know why I said Robert Perez. That's an obscure one, but but kind of you know sexy footballers, very stylish footballers, kind of mercurial players. But but Kilban was kind of um, looking good through really, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was your he was your gritty kind of player. He, yeah, winger, and as as I said, a lot of his goals were actually headed. And um, it just showed what a what a tough kind of what a tough cookie he was. Yeah, he was. I mean, you know, I remember that game actually against the Czech Republic. I think he actually was outstanding. If I remember, he really drove that team on because that team was decimated. 
it was just yeah. made it on the field uh, with we had no Richard Dunn there was no Shea Given Shea Given was out with a bad injury yeah. Wayne Henderson uh, was in goal was he Paul McShane's yeah. debut yeah, Paul McShane. John Douglas, I think, was in centre mid. He yeah. was. Absolutely yeah, he, depleted. Yeah. yeah, depleted and got a good result and probably saved Stan's job, actually. Yeah. Sadly. Um, <laughs> just, I, I was laughing to myself when he said, oh, randomly he's wearing number nine. I was thinking, what, randomly? Something just random in, in <laughs> under the Stan era? How dare you? Sir? <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Full it, of surprises. Yeah, although it doesn't quite top the Martin O'Neill, Cyrus Christie an hour before. In fact, you're playing central midfield, Cyrus. Yeah, you go, you go ahead there, pal. See how that goes. But yeah, no, he 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 was outstanding in that game, and that was always him. You know, he, the face mask. He would just show up. He'd just be there, and it's it's a lost trait now. Obviously, with it's a lost art really with, with football these days. You know, yeah. players just you. It's almost like a chore, you know. We talk about some of the the current crop at the moment. Okay, look, you know, Kevin Cabana. Yes, he was limited in ability with certain things, but his effort and his work rate was phenomenal, and you could never fault him with that. He was also, I mean, he played up front. He played left back. He played, you know, he played centre. He was a winger, but then when Duff, he had the Duff and the Reed combination on the care. Except for after 26 minutes um, against Israel, but anyway, and then he went into the centre of the park, and then all of a sudden, you know, as he got got a bit older, Trap put him as a left back, and he always did a decent job. Yeah. You know, like he was always, he was always, he, he do a job for you, like he was a bit of a bit of a bandage, you know what I mean? Like he, he, was, like, he was so consistent, and I mean, like there there aren't a huge amount of mistakes. I mean, look, I, I think positionally as a, as a left back. So I think it was like the 2010 World Cup qualifiers, and I think we were playing Bulgaria at home. And I just yeah. remember um, Stylian Petrov, and he was just swinging balls like that. You know, he was kind of playing holding midfield, and he was just swinging balls into left back because he was targeting Kilban. Because I remember when Kilban started playing left back, and I, I think he was with Wigan at the time. I think Paul Jewell had started playing him as a left back um, kind of a couple of months previous. And I think we were playing Wales kind of in a dead rubber. I think Don Givens um, was the caretaker manager. Stan had just been sacked. And I remember John Giles saying what a masterstroke it was by Givens to put Kilban at left back because Jewel was playing him there and he was getting to that stage in his career. I think he was still only like 29 or something. But he said, look, he's he didn't have much pace when he was younger. He's losing pace now. He's not going to offer much as a winger. He's been found out in centre mid. So... That was just a natural transition for him. Yeah. And and as I mentioned, a lot of his goals domestically came from his head. So it showed how good he was in the air. And then even like there was a few few goals he scored. A few goals he scored from Ireland with his head. I think um I think the Andorra game at home in the qualifiers in two thousand and two he scored. I remember he scored again. I think Brian Kerr's first game he scored a header against Scotland. He did, yeah. We we the were San Marino one game as well. Didn't he score a header? Yeah. So, so a lot of his game and his and his last goal, yeah, his last goal against um his last ever goal for Ireland, one of his last caps against Andorra in the Aviva, he scored a header. So he was um he was always always willing to put his head where it hurt. Uh, um not that that always matters as a full back, but he certainly transitioned, but but as I said, you know, we did get targeted a bit. I just remember Stylian Petrov targeting them, and um, and I think against Italy as well, he was, you know, they were just swinging balls onto the wing because they they knew it was a weakness. But um, but he put in the shift there, like it wasn't a thing that he he was making mistakes left, right, and center. I think his pace was maybe found wanting, 
And then when you're John O'Shea in the opposite flank, you know, you'd absolutely nothing coming from the coming from full back attack wise. But um but but wherever he wherever he slotted in, he he put in the shift. Um yeah, and, and, and I think it's only I think it's only times like now when you look at the squad we have now, um he was a good player, he was a consistent player. Didn't didn't do yeah, I mean, you you look at some of the, especially in the midfield department, and you see some of the players there. You know, some of the current squad, well documented. If you read some of my articles, you listen to some of these podcasts who were talking about, it, and they kind of look like they're just comfortable, and they don't really give it, they don't really give a shit, and they're just kind of going through the motions. Oh, that's another car oh, That's a look at that's a two inch pass, brilliant, lovely. That they're my stats, and yeah, I'm kind of just phoning it in. But him, he always. You always felt you were always going to get a hundred percent in terms of commitment and ability, <clears throat> you know. But uh, probably sometimes that's said. But you, but I think when you're a manager, obviously, and and it's not just football. When you go through any walk of life where you're in charge of something, and if somebody just gives you a hundred percent, hundred ten percent in in his case, you're going to let a few things sort of go. You know, you you let a few things fly. Like Mick, obviously. It used to frustrate the hell out of me, and I don't want to be horrible to Kev, but we got to be honest here. When Duff came in and he would play Duff up front with, with Robbie Keane, yeah, and he played Kilban on the left, and for me it was a no-brainer to play Duff on the wing, and then either um, I think it would have been Conley at the time, and then obviously the introduction of Clinton Morrison. Give yeah. that for me. That was that was it for me, you know. And then you could play Finnan or Stephen Carr on the right wing or or, or whatever, and. But obviously Mick always likes to have commitment and he wants people to be, you know, giving him 100%. And that's why Kevin always got the nod. It frustrated me. I thought it was a bit of a blind spot at the time for Mick. Uh, or, yeah. And but, but I understand it as well. I do understand it as well. But, you know, when you have someone like Duff, especially Duff back then was, was, was quality. He hadn't quite reached the world-class level yet, but you could see he was going to get there. And he was there for about... A lot of it was McCarthy was trying to move away from that kind of little and large mentality because he was using using a bit older, but he was using them sparingly because McCarthy loved this idea of having two smaller men up front because he said some defenders hate to play against little and large. And then McCarthy said himself, he said he would hate to play against little and little. So that's where Duff kind of came into the kind of came into selection with Keane. Yeah. And then and then, as you say, Kilbam was just kind of that that solid pick. And then I suppose that brought him into the 2002 World Cup and, um, you know, that miss against Spain. And I think there, 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 yeah, there wasn't a mass amount of backlash about it at the time. I remember I have a cousin who um, used to always call Coban a donkey and, you know, he he absolutely no time for Coban after that miss. And, you know, it was all about that miss. But but he came back. And as I said, like that, that was probably the last campaign where he featured as an out-and-out winger. He, he moved more in field, and then, as we mentioned, he kind of moved into, into left-back down down from there. But, you know, he, he was consistent. And I think his assists, like his assists, that's, I think it was seven or eight assists for Ireland he has. So, you know, he was he was creative more than anything. And he scored a couple of goals in the lead-up to the World Cup. Well, you know, we're obviously, I was, I've been giving him a little bit of a hard time, but, you know, yet again, trying to be honest there, he did set up the play... Um, I was there that night in the Stade de France. He yeah, set true. up Duff. Well, Duff went, through, yeah, yeah he, he was the one to start the whole thing. So, yeah, he, he could do... just wasn't consistent enough, you know I mean? Obviously, to be world-class, you have to do it. And to be a top-class player, you have to do it 
consistently and and he but he would have flashes uh you know you know um el, el killer would you know he have flashes of these mo- you know these moments but then for every pass in the start of france there is that miss against spain which is always funny how that just never really gets mentioned i remember yeah. it, it kind of reminds me i'm going back here a little bit it reminds me of the the game against italy in uh the stadio olimpico italia 90 when scalacci scored and no one ever, I remember I showed my mate the goal years, it's gone back about 20 years ago, and I showed him it. And you know the first thing he said, he goes, God, that's a terrible howler by Packy. Yeah. Jesus, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like I'd always, because I, I think in, in the commentary, um, Jimmy McGee says, oh, Donna Donny hits the shot. I was like, oh, good parry. And he hits it right into into yeah. Scalacci. And you know when you kind of just accept something, you go, that wasn't a good parry. It was a fucking howler. Like, he hit it right into his path. Like, he should have, if he couldn't hold on to it, he should have. gone wide, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it wasn't even Well, it's probably on target, yeah. No pace uh, in I mean, yeah. He should have done better, like, you know, I mean, but, but Packy's another episode. Um, But, yeah, you, you know, he hits it right into things, Pat, and it was a tight little finish, and you're thinking, Jesus Christ, you know, and that never really got mentioned. It's more Ian Hart that was, you know, was, I mean, Ian Hart didn't miss the penalty. He was a shy penalty. Yeah. I can see it, and I mean, can see played an absolute blinder then in the shootout with with some more shit, um, shit penalties. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Gilban just had to take a touch or even just just put his foot through. But yeah, he completely sliced it. it was bad, and 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 yeah, it didn't get mentioned much either. You know, no, um, it, it really isn't. I think members, I remember sitting there watching it um, a few years ago. Um, I've had the DVD. I was watching it on something, and I remember, you know, you're just kind of sitting there with like with your coffee or or your beer, and you just see something. And you go, "Hang on a minute!" <laughs> you know, it's like the light bulb. Like, what the? F- how? What? And you yeah. just see that angle, and then you know, you see it come up on the Lansdowne Road page. Uh, if you you know when you see that, you go, "Oh, that miss by Kil- that by Kilban," and you know, it doesn't really get picked up. Like it, it's a t- it was a terrible miss. It really fucking was. Shit penalty. I mean, if Ian Hart had a dreadful World Cup, he shouldn't. You know, yeah. for me, John O'Shea. And even should've. even yeah, for, for, I, I know this is about Kilban, but just a touch on Hart. Like, I mean, a lot of that um that qualifying campaign. I remember the game against Iran away, and again similar. Like we're talking about Kilban getting targeted with with long balls against Bulgaria and 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 Italy in the yeah qualifiers for 2010. But it was it was the same for Ian Hart. I remember they were targeting him in Tehran, and um. And I remember John Giles at half time saying, This lad is getting found out. He's been awful in the qualifiers. I know he scored like he scored the free kick against Cyprus and against Andorra and so on. And, you know, I think he was one of our, I think he was our top scorer in qualifiers. He um, was him and Roy Keane were, yeah. Yeah, joint top, joint top scorers. And look, it was all from set pieces and, and so on. But I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he, he was caught out a lot. But yeah, I mean, it, I mean, coming back to Kilban, I mean, it was, it was kind of excused in a way. Didn't, didn't Kilban have the shot before? Matt Holland scored against Cameroon. Yeah, I think it was Shot. blocked down. Yeah, it was blocked yeah. down, wasn't it? Yeah. Can he claim the assist for that? <laughs> I will give it. It's his birthday. Fuck it, we'll give it to him. Yeah. Zinedine Zidane. I mean, look, you know, we're having a go at him there, but I mean, I thought, I really thought the way he was treated by Trapattoni was absolutely. I don't know what it is yeah. with Irish managers. It got, kind of goes back to Jack, where he wouldn't even give you a phone call, and I thought. Because it was the game against Slovakia, wasn't it? And he was supposed yeah. to, you know, he just didn't get the call up. It was it was it. a thirty second phone call. Apparently, Trapattoni just just rang him. Yeah. 
and say, look, it's footballing reasons. And as we mentioned earlier, four four appearances off Billy Wright's record, 70 consecutive competitive appearances. He's yeah. on 66, only missed it because of back surgery. Um, and then Stephen Ward, um, God love him. God loves a trier. Came in and replaced Kilban. And, and and the funny thing is, like, I mean, he was months away from probably featuring in the Euros, you know? Because, I mean, he obviously played in 2002. Um, but, yeah, he yeah. Was, if you think about it, he wasn't far off. Like, he retired in 2012. And I think in 2011, I remember Huddersfield Town. I, I don't know why I liked Huddersfield Town. I think they used to, like, obviously I'm a United fan, but I think they used to take a lot of lads from United. They had Dr- Danny Drinkwater an obscure one but they did have Danny Drinkwater for a season I think when they got to the playoff final and Kilban I think scored in the penalty shootout of the semi but I remember thinking Jesus Kilban is playing in League One and not that long ago he was he was our first choice left back and then that just put him completely off the radar for Euro 2012 and um, like we hadn't qualified at that stage I think there were still a couple of games to play but but he drifted off the radar completely and um, look there was calls for Ward Ward was playing in, in the Premier League for Wolves every week yeah and playing up front the odd time, randomly. But um, but yeah, like uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose it just shows the fickle realities of football, where where someone like Kilbank could be treated like that. I mean, at the time he was our most cap player. He's on 110 yeah. caps, as you mentioned, just off the just off the record. Um, Billy Wright, and then all of a sudden a 30 second phone call with Trapattoni to say that your your international career is essentially over. So um. I don't think he's been too bitter about it, which is which is good. And to, and to be honest, like he's he strikes us as a as a really really nice guy. You know, he's um, a very charitable guy. I think I think that's well known. And you know, doing well for himself as a pundit. I like him as a pundit anyway. Yeah, I I, I know Eamon Dunphy doesn't really rate him as a pundit. <laughs> um, he said it, the best thing about him was his head. And then after hearing his punditry, he says, I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Which is a really shitty thing to say. Yeah. Nice guy, though. I mean, anecdotally, and I mean, we've, we've spoken about this off air, David, but, um, but Breen and I, we were going to the, the playoff, the infamous playoff against Denmark in 2017, and we were going to the away leg in Copenhagen, and we had a connecting flight in Frankfurt. So in Dublin Airport, and. Um, waiting or whatever, waiting, waiting to board the plane. And we see Kevin Kilban, a couple of lads from off the ball. And Breen just casually, because he doesn't get phased by footballers for some reason, <laughs> just goes, oh, there's Kilban. And I was, you know, I was like a, I was like a 16-year-old girl looking at One Direction. Um, you know, it was, because, you know, like the 2002 World Cup squad were my heroes, you know. And, yeah. You know, to, to, you know, I know Kilban uh, <laughs> missed the sitter, but... You know, you still look at guys like that and you think, holy shit, you know, that that's that's one of my heroes as a kid growing up. And um, we got on the plane anyway, and uh, there was a spare seat beside us. And self and brain. Now, keep in mind, it was four in the morning, so we were fairly fucking tired. And we see Kilban pacing up and down the plane, and we were like, be gas if he sat down beside us. And um, lo and behold, <laughs> he launches himself down beside us. And the two of us are just kind of looking at each other like, really? Kevin Kilban sitting beside us <laughs> and um yeah as I mentioned it was first thing in the morning and we were kind of like okay I wouldn't mind going to sleep and then I don't know Breen kind of said something to him I don't know there was some kind of conversation opener or whatever and then there was silence and then Kilban turns to the two of us and he goes so what do you reckon for the match lads and we had a great chat a great chat for you know a good half an hour and then I remember trying to go to sleep because I was genuinely tired. 
and he wouldn't shut up. <laughs> like, he, <laughs> he wouldn't shut up. He just kept asking about the match. And Breen at that stage just said, lads, I'm going to sleep. I'm knackered. <laughs> so we wanted to have a few points in Frankfurt, even though it was first thing in the morning. And I had, I'm, I'm a really nervous flyer, and I had Roy Keane's book out. And um, I was kind of nodding off reading this. And, you know, it, it, I was starstruck by Kevin Gilban, but I kind of had enough of chatting to him. Um, not in a bad way, just because of the air of the morning it was. And um, he just goes, I'm in that book. And I was like, oh, Kevin, just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, he, he's like, he wanted to sign me for Ipswich. And um, I went to his house, we had a good chat, and then I, I just decided against it. And I was like, that's, that's great. But to be fair, lovely guy. He gave us time. And funnily yeah. enough, Breen, um, I mean, there's that famous video of Breen and uh, Kevin Kilban where Breen plays a prank on him with Robbie Power. Um, and Breen more or less makes out that Kilban got him sacked from from Boyle Sports. So that that famous uh, that famous video was going around for a while. But um, yeah, like I think we were getting off the plane and we we'd asked for a photo. It's a photo of myself, Breen, and Kevin. Just call him by first name or whatever. And uh, Breen was like, "By the way, Kevin, I'm going to be working with you uh, in Boyle Sports." And um, yeah, he he was lovely. But then we kept bumping into him in Copenhagen, <laughs> and he but he was sound like he was just. You know, he said hello and he made a bit of effort and, you know, very, very human. But 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 that yeah. always that always struck a chord with me because I was like, he didn't have to speak to us, but he actually approached us and he actually made the effort to speak to us about the match because he knew we were going to the game. And there yeah. was people hanging out of him as he was going up and down the, the aisle or whatever. And he could tell that we were just like, OK, we'll, we'll leave him be. It's four in the morning. We all want to sleep. But he, but he made the effort. He gave his opinion to us. And um, that always... That always stood out with me. I said, you know, you don't get that with a lot of footballers. A genuinely nice guy. And um, and as we mentioned already, that that shone through on the pitch, that commitment, um, that professionalism, that kind of, you know, mentor, um, mentor mentality. And he, he was always a leader within the Irish camp. Yeah, I mean, say what you want about him. He, he's had a career. I mean, he has made the absolute most out of what he's got. And through commitment and through hard work. And he's actually, he does show you what you can achieve with, with that, with, with just an absolute great attitude. And, you know, I've never met him, uh, unfortunately, but, you know, he seems like a really nice guy. I've never heard a, heard a bad word about him. And, yeah. you well, know, Breen, he, he, he did call Breen, Breen a numpty. So Breen might have a different opinion, but it was all in good fun. It was all in good fun. I mean, I mean, you know, but he's he, he certainly seems one of the good good guys. And do you know what he? I was on a, you know, I've I've, I've called out some of his limitations here. However, he has had an Ireland career that is just record breaking. Very, yeah, record breaking legend. You know, he is a legend, and he he should be remembered as legend. And he has a career that so many people would envy. I mean, hundred and ten caps. Yeah. eight goals you know phenomenal and a fair play to him and he should be he is remembered and he is thought of uh thought of fondly amongst the irish fans and he should always be thought fondly by the irish fans and i just attitude wise i just wish we uh, you'd love to have 11 um chemical bands a team of chemical bands maybe we'll get that chat going but no attitude wise i mean uh, you'd, you'd take 11 of him on the pitch any day just that commitment, that that hard work. Just put the shift in. There was yeah. there was nothing complex about his game. 
Yeah. He never overdid it. He kept it. He he was a simplistic. He he's kind of that era, you know. Like I always kind of cite that 2002 squad and that kind of qualifying campaign. They were such simplistic footballers. There was no overdoing it. There was no overthinking it. I think as football has progressed tactically and and um, systematically, yeah, you do get players overthinking it. You do get players overplaying it. Where where Coban was of that era, where it was just simple football keep it nice and tidy and and he kept that for the remainder of his career you know and he, yeah. and he was just a solid pro yeah absolutely and you know fair play to him he's he's left a great legacy and wish him absolutely you know and he, he's a decent pundit and i think he actually um even with that he actually obtained a degree according to wikipedia by the way, so if it's wrong, you know, this is where we're getting it from. Uh, but he obtained a degree in professional sports writing and broadcasting at Staffordshire University. You know, there you go. Like, he, he's clearly... Well, it, just, show, it, it shows a willingness to, to work yeah. and it shows a willingness to actually supplement his knowledge in something he wants to pursue. You know, and, and again, like, showing hard work on the pitch and showing hard work off the pitch, that's, that's just the type of person he is. And... Yeah. Most importantly, he's a nice guy. That's it. At the end of the day, that that's what matters most. But I think actually most of the Irish, especially the older lads, like you know the older players, tend to be really, really nice. Um, any any of the ones I've ever met. But yeah, he's a really nice guy. Um, and you know what? Fair play to him. Wish him nothing, nothing but. Hope he has a great birthday. If you're listening, Kevin, I doubt you are. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's a great promotion for the podcast. But no, you mean hope you have a great birthday and. Please, God, it's you'll have many, many more. Absolutely, and uh, and happy birthday to Kevin from the Green Machine, of course, and and I'm sure from Breen as well, who was enjoying us tonight. But uh, a former colleague of Kevin and um, and embarrassed them with that uh, famous Boyle Sports video. Breen will kill me for bringing that up again. Something he probably wants to forget forever. But um, but yes, happy birthday, Kevin. So well. Leave it there for today, and um, again, happy birthday to Kevin Kilban. Happy birthday as well to Jeff Hendrick, your your buddy David, uh, Greg Cunningham, <laughs> and big uh, Gary Doherty. So, and, yeah. and also, also um, a very very big happy birthday to Irish legend Charlie O'Leary, who's ninety seven today. Jesus, yeah, that's a good innings. Yeah, it's not bad. I'll be look. I'll be happy to make it to bloody forty seven. I'm minus ninety seven. <laughs> Nearly as many, nearly as many years as Kilban has caps, so that's that's not bad going at all. But um, but as always, keep your feedback coming, guys. Um, really delighted with the growth of the with the podcast in the last couple of weeks. So we'll keep it coming at you. We've loads of topics to discuss, and if there's any topics you'd like to suggest to us, we'd be more than happy to discuss them because we're doing this for the fans, by the fans. So until next time, goodbye and happy birthday, Kevin Kilban. <laughs>